Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Final Whistle podcast. Today, we're straying away from football to some other sports, and I'm joined by a golfer who has represented England at competitions, played on the Ladies European Tour, and most recently has returned from competitions out in Singapore and South Africa. I'm joined by Cara Gaynor. Thank you for joining me here. Um, delighted to have you. How are you doing? Yeah, thanks, Harry. Yeah, I'm really excited to uh, speak to you today and uh, yeah, hopefully, you know, answer a few of your questions. So we'll start off with a, a slightly less serious question. Obviously, you're on the road quite a lot going all over the world. Um, is there something maybe a food or a guilty pleasure that you like to to take with you when you're jetting about? For me, obviously, a crunchy is quite a good take wherever I go. But uh, is there anything like that you take with you? Well, I mean, I'm kind of down the similar route to you, actually, because but I'm going more with the dairy milk and galaxy. Good choice. Just because obviously when we're away, you know, we're obviously in foreign countries and you can't you just can't get very good chocolate. So usually I take a, you know, a big dairy milk with me or something just just for, you know, a square or two in the evening um, just to keep me going. But I'm not I, I do have a bit of a sweet tooth. <laughs> and obviously we've mentioned professional golfer was sport a big part of your life growing up yeah massive part of my life yeah and it still is so you know when I was younger I was really into sport I played all the sports at school hockey football tennis netball you know all of those you know usual sports um picked up tennis quite early on so when I was sort of six or seven um through my through my school um and then I started going to sort of more training and you know getting really in, really into tennis and I ended up being quite competitive at tennis uh, for quite a long time uh you know in my sort of early you know senior school years I kind of was was probably playing I'm sort of my best tennis I guess um and then I sort of ended up stopping well actually I, I carried on playing until I was sort of 17 but not competitively um you know golf was already on the horizon at that point and I don't know whether this is correct. I got given to this as information, but when you were doing tennis, did you do junior Wimbledon? No, that is not correct. <laughs> My sources have let me down there. Right. <laughs> so I mean, it was, yeah, I mean, it was, it was possible, but it never happened. Um, and that was kind of where it was sort of decided that, you know, I wasn't quite getting to the next level. Um, you know, with tennis, you have to be basically turning pro at such a young age um it's a real it's a sport where you know when you're sort of 13 14 you're you know you're you're making big decisions with what you're going to do and um I just yeah I couldn't quite take that next step and I kind of realized that and uh that's where it kind of I guess faded away um at that point and you obviously mentioned about picking up golf and getting going with it what was it about the sport that appealed to you um, I guess it was, you know, similar to tennis, there's a lot of transferable skills there, you know, a ball, hand-eye coordination, individual sport. Um, so I think the individual aspect for me was was probably what drove me to it. Cause I think I, although I enjoy team sports and I did when I was, you know, when I was young, I think I don't necessarily like relying on other people, you know, when you're when you're playing in a team event. So at least I know. If I put all the work in, I dedicate myself and it's, it's all down to me then. And it's, you know, can't blame anyone else, only only me. Yeah. And obviously you joined Castle Royal Golf Club about 16, I think. And obviously that's not too far from from us here. Um, you won the Ladies Club Championship there. Was this a kind of point where you thought maybe I can take this pro and, and do it as a kind of a job? Um, I mean, probably not anything at Castle Royal in terms of a moment. Um, I'd say... 
I mean, obviously I went to university at Cardiff and had a great time there and got my degree and that was really important, um, you know, as, as a plan B and things like that. Cause I wasn't, I wasn't really serious at that point in turning professional, even at university. So that's, you know, that's when I'm sort of 20 anyway. Um, so I had obviously won club championships already before that, but you know, it was more of a hobby at that point. Um, and it wasn't anything really sort of serious that I wanted to pursue um, until I then took a gap year once I finished university and I decided to play, you know, the full amateur schedule um, for the women, women's golf. Um, and I won the English match play, which was a big national event, uh, which was, and I was, you know, I'd come from being complete outsider. Uh, you know, no one had heard of me. Uh, you know, I was playing against all the England team players and, you know, things like that. And I won that event. And that was probably a sort of quite a key moment in in terms of sort of, you know, telling me that maybe this could be something that I'm good enough to be part of. And, you know, with such little practice, I mean, at university, I was I was really wasn't playing much. So to have come out, you know, out of the block so quickly, I guess, kind of proved to me that, you know, if I actually put some time and dedication into the sport, then, you, you know, you never know what could happen. Yeah. And you've Throughout your golfing so far, you've been coached by Rob Watts, uh, who's worked at Castle Royal as well. And there's videos online of you golfing in some very heavy snow um, on his channel. How has he helped you develop as a golfer? Yeah, I mean, he's been really in instrumental in everything that I've done, uh, you know, on and off the course, really. Um, he's sort of led me in the right direction uh, with everything that I've been doing technically, um, as well as, you know, for strategy, management, um, just as an all-round uh, player, you know, he's he's super technical and he, you know, he's obviously worked with many great players before. So he has you know a lot of experience in working with, you know, top level performers. So he, uh, yeah, I mean, we've just worked really closely together for, for such a long time. And I think once you have a bond with a coach and he's sort of seen you develop so much, there's, there's always, as if, you know, if you mix around with different coaches, it gets really difficult to try and work on a few you know if you're working technically on things to then try and have loads of other opinions and you just stick to one person and it's just a lot easier um and you know we get on well and he's you know he's at Castle which is perfect for me because obviously it's my home club and it's you know he can just pop over for five even if it's just five minutes just to have a look at a few things um you know rather than some I know some girls you know drive three or four hours to see their coaches so it's just really convenient and he's a great guy and you know I really enjoy working with him. And obviously you said there you've you've had him all the way through. Um have you got any messages from him or uh kind of advice that sticks with you when you're in the moment? Anything really important that you kind of always take with you when you're golfing? Yeah, I mean, I think he always well, the word ruthless is always um very prominent in my mind when I think of him because he always tells me that I need to be more ruthless, um, you know, and it's not really about anyone else on the, you know, when I'm playing, but it's just more just really ruthless in what I'm doing, whether it's my routine, whether it's how I'm feeling or, you know, what shots I'm going to hit. Um, or if, you know, even, you know, my playing partners are annoying me or something, I've just got to be ruthless about that and just get on with what I need to do and what I need to focus on. So yeah, that I actually write that word in my yardage book. Um, before I play every event just so when I open my yardage book I can see that word straight there and it just brings me back down to you know what I want to do that day 
and obviously being a pro it's it's a massive achievement and something that not many people playing will be able to reach you've obviously mentioned they're winning the uh, England Open match day and obviously in the Belgian Open as well in 2022 you did really well um but what for you personally has kind of been your biggest achievement you know throughout your golfing um yeah I mean of probably yeah my second place in Belgium would be uh, a professional highlight um and it was a it was quite a key moment because kind of since that that time which was sort of May last year I've really kicked on from that moment so I feel like it gave me a lot of confidence that uh that result uh you know I came second to uh basically one of the best players in the world Lynn Grant who has you know proved herself uh in you know week in week out really so it it kind of showed me that you know I'm good enough to be here and I'm good enough to be you know playing against the best players um and yeah since then I mean I'd also say probably uh, my performance in Saudi Arabia, which was in November, um, sorry, not November. Uh, I've played so many tournaments, I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> no, it was last month, which must have been, it must have been in February, end of February. Um, it was a big tournament, five, $5 million event, which was equal prize money to the men's event, which is the first time ever. Um, and I finished 14th there and it was uh, a big result in terms of the quality of the field. So there were six of the top 10 players in the world playing that tournament uh, and, you know, a bunch of major champions winners and just just a really world class field. So because obviously I play on the L.E.T., so you don't always necessarily see the girls that play in America on the LPGA. Uh, you don't play with them as much uh, as, as, you, as you'd like to. Uh, so that event really showed me that, you know, I can compete on that on that side of the tour as well. And obviously you say there about playing against some some massive names. How does it feel to be stepping up as someone slightly younger in the in the whole like golfing world? What is it like stepping up and competing against them? Is there like a lot of pressure from your side or just more like, wow, I'm sharing this space with them? Yeah, it's definitely more, yeah, wow, this is so exciting. Um, you know, I've just I relish playing with better players. Um, I absolutely love to play with the top players and and sort of see my game compared to theirs, you know, what's what's good, what's not good, where can I improve? Um, but not you obviously focus too much on them, but equally just just know that there's a reason why you're playing with them is in that you've been paired with them because you're good enough and you're good enough to be here. So that's always what I sort of take take away from those moments when I get to play with these amazing people. And you've played some amazing courses around the world, but you've also represented England ladies, you know, Spain and Australia. What is it like stepping onto the course knowing that you're representing obviously the nation? Is there is there a pressure or is it like playing with the big players? Is it more excitement that you're getting that opportunity? Yeah, I think obviously it's amazing to represent your country. I mean, there's not many people that can say they've represented their country in a sport. So it was a massive honour when I was playing for England. And you always feel very proud when you've got the badge on your on your sleeve. And uh, you know, we when we were amateurs and we were, you know, going to trainings and everything, it was there was a big uh, sort of thing around having the feeling of that you're represent, you know, who you're representing and why you're representing the country. And, um, you know, it was, it was a lot of pride about, you know, being part of England and, uh, you know, I still carry that through now to being a professional, although I'm not part of team England, because obviously it doesn't follow through once you turn professional. Um, you know, there's a lot of English players that have come through the ranks as well. And, you know, it's nice to, 
to know that you know we've also got the support behind the scenes from people that we used to work with with England as well. How does the whole process around obviously you're representing England how does that all come about was it winning multiple like competitions and then you you know reaching that level or is it just a call from the from like a selection of committee or whatever? Yeah so they have obviously a bunch of selectors that follow around the sort of amateur circuit I guess um, and in that year that I took as a sort of a gap year, I guess, once I'd finished uni, um, I had had some good results that season and then obviously had the big win at the match play. Um, and I think they kind of gave me a bit of a punt, to be honest. And, you know, they called me up and asked me to come to the training sessions and um, then I get, got selected for the squad. So it was a bit of a punt in terms that in terms of I had never been, hadn't gone through the junior uh, side of England golf, which most, most of the girls had done. So most of them had been in the England girls team and then progressed to the England women's team um I was obviously not involved with the girls team so I kind of come you know I guess through the side door and it was a bit of a pump for them and um you know it was amazing because I was able to have some incredible opportunities with traveling and like you said going to Australia um I went for five weeks and you know that was an amazing experience for me having not had many international experiences on the golf course um, having come to it so late so uh, yeah it was great to be able to you know get those those amazing times with other players as well and and you turned pro in 2020 and you started on the ladies European tour what was it like making the decision to go and fully commit to pro golfing was there any doubt in your mind or was it kind of a you know just go for it I think it was kind of almost a little bit of an ultimatum in terms of you know, I wasn't young, but I wasn't old, but it was, it was a point where I either turn pro or I have maybe one more year as an amateur, but then I felt like I would be too old um, to sort of, because you need a few years when you, once you turn pro to kind of get, you know, find your feet and, you know, things like that. And, you know, I was, I must've been 23 or something at that point. So, um, you know, and a lot of girls turn pro a lot younger than that. So, I was on the older older side of things. Um, so I kind of just thought, um, you know, I wanted to get into the pro ranks and see where I stood. Uh, and I wanted to try and earn some money as well. I mean, you know, I had a lot of friends that, at you know, graduated uni, they got good jobs in London. Um, and I felt a bit of pressure with that as well. Just, you know, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to earn my own money. I didn't want to have to, you know, live with my parents anymore and things like that. So, uh, yeah, I wanted to get in the big, big world. Have you ever had any points throughout your career so far being a pro where you've maybe doubted the decision and maybe thought to yourself oh like maybe this isn't for me I think to be honest you have that every week <laughs> every week you play I think there's there's some moments where you think oh you know oh I don't like this I don't fancy this um but you know you know I had periods uh you know I must have been sort of the middle of my first year after the access. So once I got my first onto the European tour, uh, I had a successful year on the access tour, which was the feeder tour. And then my first year on the European tour, I'd had, you know, a bit of a run where I was missing a few cuts and, you know, it is, it's a lonely place to be when you're not playing well, um, because obviously it's very individual. And, you know, there's times when you think, oh, maybe this isn't for me, maybe I'm not good enough. Um, and, it's it's so much about confidence and believing in yourself. And I had a lot of people around me, um, you know, my coaches, my team, my family, you know, people at Castle Royal that all, you know, believed in me and, you know, told me, 
it's just you've got to crack on keep dedicated you work hard enough hard enough to be able to um, succeed so I think you just yeah I just have to tell myself just keep going and and if but I was thinking I'll be realistic and I was going to give myself a sort of a time time period of years that if it was not because you know at the end of the day you do want to be able to make a living out of your career and mm. if that wasn't going to happen then it would be something I'd have to consider definitely and you and you wrote in an article for Castle Royal that went up that you spoke about how in your last session events thing was out eight top 20 finishes um and you finished strongly obviously in the recent tour championships what's your kind of aim looking forward now in the new golfing season as it kicks off what's kind of what you're targeting for yeah so I have a couple um I guess sort of goals which are sort of middle season goals so I want to play in the British Open this year so the Open Championship which um will be in July and the only way I can qualify for that is to be within the top it, it's, it differs, but it'd be within the top 12 to 14 players on the rankings for the current season. So I'm currently 21st on the order merit. So I've got a couple of months to, you know, try and slowly get that down um, to get within those in those spaces, because I've never played in a major championship. Uh, and that's obviously a massive goal um, of mine. So that would be sort of my first goal that I'm really looking at right now. Um and then a sort of season end goal is to finish top 10 on the order merit because then I can qualify for the LPGA tour. So I can then play in America, which is, uh, is sort of my, yeah, my end goal. And you spoke also in the same article about obviously getting a lot of TV coverage. What's it like, you know, when you're trying to get in the zone, trying to make sure you're hitting the best shot and you have a load of cameras coming over to, to capture it? Yeah, I mean, I definitely struggled with that at the beginning um, when that first sort of happened to me, which was in Belgium really last year. Um, and I didn't, it, it, I actually struggled with it so much that I, I bogey as soon as the TV, I was doing very, very well. I think I was seven under three sort of 14 holes or something. And, you know, I was suddenly, you know, leading or or around, around the leading position. And I had all these cameras turn up and it was quite overwhelming. And I actually bogeyed the next two holes. Um, and I finished that round five under. So um, I learned a lot from that day um, and then I went out the next day and, and I shot seven under again so, oh well again I shot seven under the final day so I kind of learned on my feet quite quickly with that and uh, I don't mind doing the interviews and things and things like that I'm, I feel like I'm quite comfortable with that kind of thing um, but definitely when the cameras are walking around when you're trying to hit and you know golf is very much about routine and what you're used to and, and being quiet and and getting in the zone, keep focused. And then when you have a lot of buggies and TVs racing ahead of you to get the shot, it's a bit, you know, obviously they're there for a good reason. So you always need to think they're there because you're doing well. Yeah. So just embrace it and be happy that, you know, you're being watched by by people on the TV. And for when you're obviously being watched, there'll be there'll be young children, young girls on there watching you and other female golfers. What advice would you have for people that maybe are interested in golfing about trying to make it pro what kind of advice would you give them yeah I mean I'd say it's all about enjoyment really especially uh for young for young girls I mean I think it's really important that we try and get more young girls in the sport um because it is still very you know male dominated especially in the younger you know younger kids that that are starting and girls don't necessarily want don't necessarily want to start with golf they might do gymnastics or ballet or you know, so it's trying to get get girls interested in in being outside and 
uh, enjoying the game. And uh, yeah, I just, I think, I think it's just really enjoyment and, and let, let the child sort of do what they want to do and not be too pushy because I think that was important for me. I had, my parents were very, uh, you know, let me do what, do what I wanted to do and didn't overly push me in terms of going to tournaments, like things like that. So yeah, I think, I think it's great that I can be a role model for younger girls and, and I hope that more people will get into the game. And you've just come back from from playing over in South Africa and from in Singapore as well. Um, and you've mentioned about playing all over the world and other places. What kind of courses would you say have been your favourite to play or the most memorable? Um, to be honest, we play so we play so many courses that you can barely remember where you've been. I have this problem with people coming and asking me where I've been, and I and I say, well. I can't really remember <laughs> um but no there's obviously amazing places I mean Singapore I actually managed to stay a few days after I had finished the tournament to actually see the city because you know I had flown halfway across the world so we often don't get to see where where we actually play um which is unfortunate because we often go to very nice places um but you know you're there for a short period of time and you're really there for work and for golf so uh there's not many places I've been able to spend some quality time getting to to see the to see the cities and things like that um but I, yeah I'd say Singapore was really really impressive and uh just being in Asia I love Asian food so you know that was a massive massive plus for me I really enjoyed that um but I'm looking forward to be going to America um next month well in May so uh I really enjoy going to Florida so I'm hoping that'll be a great course um yeah to, to start off the next stint and you've obviously got a little break there before before you jet off again. Is there, is it just going to be practicing and golfing again, or is there anything else you're going to be filling your time with, maybe just relaxing? Yeah, I mean, I've had a bit of downtime now since I've got back, um, and I'm starting to get back into into practice now. Get a bit of a practice plan going because you know it's quite unusual to have this much time off. We had a couple of events that got cancelled, um, so we wouldn't usually have had such a big gap. Um, but luckily, Justin Rose has put on. Um, in COVID, he put on a uh, run of events uh, to help uh, women professionals because the tour was obviously not running. And he's carried that on the last few years. And he's put on another uh, five one-day events in April. Uh, so they're just one-day events, 10K first prize, um, you know, so decent day's work if you win. Um, and it's just good to, you know, keep a bit of your eye, keep a bit of your eye and get competitive again so that we're not having you know four or five weeks without any competition um so that's only really for English players but uh yeah I'm looking forward to playing in them and hopefully you know get a couple of wins brilliant and for a kind of a final question to round it up in terms of sport and we tend to ask this for other people we've interviewed if you could kind of have a, a sit down dinner or maybe share a Cadbury's chocolate uh, bar with them is there any sporting idols or just idols in your life generally that you'd enjoy spending an evening with if you could choose anyone well I mean if if someone said yeah I would I would probably say obviously Tiger Woods I mean it's a kind of a no-brainer I mean I've obviously grown up watching Tiger Woods and thinking how amazing he is and I just think what he's you know going through at the minute is is quite remarkable how he's still playing um so he's always been an idol and then also Annika Sorenstam who is I'd say the goat of women's golf um, she's the greatest of all time. So um, 
you know, I'd love to pick her brains about loads of things. Uh, and she actually plays at the golf club that I play at in America, but I've never had the uh, the guts to go up and really introduce myself. <laughs> so maybe if I, you know, start winning some big golf titles, I'll, you know, she might she might know my name and then I can, uh, maybe I will have share that dairy milk with her. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wish you all the best going out to America in the next competition. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. No worries. Thanks so much, Harry. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you've enjoyed this and you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe to the channel. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, make sure to follow us on there. We really appreciate the support. Thank you for listening. This has been the Final Whistle Podcast.